As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So I'm super excited to announce to everybody that SpoilerCon registration is now open. It will be open from June 15th to August 15th, if you happen to be listening to this in a time-shifted manner. Those are the dates we're talking about. This is 2021. This is SpoilerCon, a reintroduction to your society. Your ideal society in particular. Yes, so the con is going to be held October 1st through 3rd in Portland, Oregon. We are planning currently to have a hybrid in-person and digital event, so that way people who can't make it to join us will be able to enjoy some of the con, while those of us that are able to rejoin our IEL societies can do so in person. Registration in person will be $120 and only $10 for the online version because tech does still cost something to run. You can register at spoilercon.org registration. You can also follow us on Twitter at SpoilerCon and subscribe to our newsletter at bit.ly slash news to get updates. And this is going to be an incredible SpoilerCon. I think just the excitement of everybody getting back into the real world and seeing each other, I just know people are going to have a great time. We have Michael and Kramer and Kate Redding coming back. They will be attending remotely and, and doing their usual um, reading and Q&A that we've had at every spoiler con so far. Last year, we had a lot of success bringing in our guests remotely digitally. So I think we're, we're still going to have a fair number of those guests attending remotely, and that will be streamed out to the digital folks. So other things we have going on, obviously, we're going to be doing some podcast live recordings. There's that walking tour of Portland. There's going to be a silent auction for everyone online. We're going to do both an in-person costume contest and an online costume contest, trivia challenges, and just hanging out with our fellow nerds. And, you know, maybe a couple of surprises. The SpoilerCon committee is still working on a few things. Yeah, we've had a lot of success in past years, and we're very excited to build on those successes, use what worked before, and add new things. So stay tuned to our social media and... Get hype with us, because this is happening. Yeah, we are super excited. For a while, it was a little tentative, but um, you know, with vaccines rolling out, 
really strongly in the U.S., we're able to go ahead and, and have this event in person, which is super exciting. Um, we are going to, this year, be having it at an actual hotel and conference center. So no more Airbnb, <laughs> no more being packed in next to the party <laughs> while you're trying to sleep. We're actually able to get your own hotel room. So it's the University Place Hotel and Conference Center. Um, it's on uh, 310 Southwest Lincoln Street in Portland, Oregon. If you are reserving a room, enter the promo code SPOILERCON, and you should get a very good rate uh, for those nights. Yeah, we've got a whole room block set out. A lot of work's been done to make sure that that is going to be affordable and friendly, so that way we can keep the party all together. We really, really hope to see you there, either in person or online, because this is going to be fun. We're really excited about what we're building. And there's a lot of great information at SPOILERCON.org. Check it out. Uh, any FAQs you may have, uh, extended information, it's all there on the website. Or, you know, contact us in Discord and we can get hype about that at any time. <laughs> or email us at SpoilerCon at Gmail or WattSpoilers at Gmail. Uh, we're there listening and waiting for your calls. Emails. Calls, emails, texts, Instagram posts, whatever. We'll be excited. On all of our social media, you will be able to find us at SpoilerCon. We have streamlined and made consistent that labeling. So if you look for SpoilerCon... On any platform, you will find us. Look forward to seeing you there. This is the Wheel of Time Spoilers podcast. Super Skylake. It's a short chapter, so only two hours. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up, Skylake. <laughs> No. <laughs> this is no. actually a short chapter, and actually there's only two of us. I, okay, I do have a lot to say, but I think it might be a, sh a shortest chapter, but I do, there, I, I, I highlighted a lot. Yeah, well, we did have that one that came in at, like, only an hour recently, so we've got precedent. We know we can do it. <laughs> yeah. I'm, again, I, I'll, I'll reiterate just how few chapters some of these next few books have. The next book has 31 chapters in it. That's going to take us like two weeks. Maybe slightly more than two weeks. Two months. It's going to go fast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's going to go really fast. It's still got the same page count. <laughs> so it will be That's, probably the same hour yeah. count then. It's not entirely true. It does, have, it does have a slightly less, a lower page count than like certainly Lord of Chaos and stuff like that. But. Isn't Path of Daggers the shortest in the whole mm -hmm. series? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think page and chapter count. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, the, the slog has some unique qualities, even if you disagree with calling it the slog. Um, so this is uh, when Perrin goes to Gilodon. Yeah, this is Perrin taking a whole coterie of people through a gateway and into a dragging storyline. The fight. This is where he has the fight, quote quotes, with Rand. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which isn't a fight, but is a fight. It's one of those things. It's like, we're going to play fight. Oh, oh, we're not play fighting. Yeah, we're play we're fighting. Anymore. No, 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 yes, no. It's, yeah. Rand is not a good person to be play fighting with right now. Also, don't pick an issue that you actually have real disagreements about to play fight. Yeah, I feel like Perrin sort of whiffed on that one. A little bit. Like, couldn't you have argued about, like, fancy coats, like, back in Great Hunt? Like, wouldn't that have made more sense as, as a topic, you know? But no, you had to pick something that's extremely fraught. So Super Skylake is saying this is a bit further back in the timeline. Is it? I thought this was... What? 
What do you mean back in the timeline? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. What do you What do you mean back in the timeline? Because as far as I know, Rand was planning to send Perrin to Gilead No, I don't think so. In, in Rand's last POV, he had not sent Perrin to, P- to Gilead He was planning right. on it. And we, he was planning on having Barrelane accompany him. Yeah. But he hadn't actually made that decision yet. Right. And we are between when him and Min have their little comfort fuck and when they have the discussion about how it wasn't assault. We are... We get confirmation in this chapter. Right. We are in that little interval. Right. And and this is where Min tried to go to him and he sent her away. That's because they fucked mm-hmm. and he thinks he's raped her, but they haven't had their post-coital yeah. conversation yet. Yes. Aftercare is important is the conclusion mm-hmm. of that. <laughs> yeah. I, that's Did she just get up and leave? Like, what what happened at the end <laughs> I of know, that? Like, right? I'm curious. That's something they don't talk about. Like, they show them a cut to black, but then there's no, like... Smoking a cigarette, like, that was great, honey. I'm going to go, you know, back to my apartment. Like, was there no They probably just, like, passed out. Right. And then and she, like, got up and put on her clothes and, like, walk of shamed out of there. Right, probably while he was still asleep or something like mm-hmm. that. That's what I imagine. Yeah, except that it wasn't a walk of shame because she doesn't appear to have any shame about it. So. No. So, yeah, Super Sky, like, as far as I'm aware, this is all chronological. We're not jumping around in Rand's POV. The, the... We do have, like, the flashback to the fight is in italics, but that's, like, a 20-minute flashback. It's not days and days. He does that sometimes with his chapters where he just doesn't want to start them at the beginning. So he flashes back, like, inside the chapter. I've seen in italics. He does that occasionally. Not Mm -hmm. frequently, but he's done it a couple of times already. Yeah. Yeah. Today we are doing chapter 27, To Be Alone. And our symbol is the wolf. And I think this is an appropriate uh, chapter to not have a guest on, To Be Alone (laughs) on. Yeah, indeed, indeed, yeah. That's a Perrin chapter, so obviously we've got the wolf, because it's it's Perrin being mopey about his imposed leadership, basically. Slipping the haft of his axe through the loop on his belt, opposite his quiver, Perrin took his unstrung longbow from the corner, slung his saddlebags over his shoulder, and left the rooms he had shared with Fayil without a backward look. They had been happy there, most of the time. He did not think he would ever be back. Sometimes he wondered whether being happy somewhere with Fael meant he would never return there. He hoped not. The servants he saw in the palace corridors were unrelieved black livery. Perhaps Rand had ordered it, and perhaps the servants themselves had simply adopted it. They had been uneasy without livery, as though they did not know where they belonged, and black seemed safe as Rand's color because of the Ashaman. Those who saw Perrin scampered away as fast as they could, not waiting for any bows or curtsies. Fear scent drifted behind them. For once his yellow eyes had nothing to do with anyone being afraid. It might not be safe to loiter near a man at whom the dragon reborn had unleashed his rage so publicly this very morning. Perrin eased the shoulder under his saddlebags. A long while had passed since anyone had been able to pick him up and throw him. Of course, no one had ever used the power to try before. One moment in particular stuck with him. And then we get a bit of a flashback. Yeah, an italicized flashback where we get the conversation and Rand being unhappy. And the basic context of that discussion is that Perrin is concerned about human rights abuses being enacted on the Aes Sedai prisoners in the Aiel camp. And Rand being like, I don't give a fuck. It's not my priority. Perrin's like, it is your, it should be though, right? Like, and this Mm. is a legitimate disagreement they've had. This is something they've talked about over and over and over again. But in a lot of ways, parents just has to give up and be like, nope, you do whatever you want. Like, this is not my circus. Yeah, for sure. And I think, honestly, it's a bit of 
a disservice to the IEL to be like, they could be killed for all you know. And it's like, right. really? Do you really think that you know the IEL better than that? It feels a little racist. It feels a little like those IEL savages, you never yeah. know what they're going to do. And I'm like, hmm. But they're actually, you know, like they did great with Egwene and she was an apprentice and you had no problem with that. Now all of a sudden these I said I are going through the same situation and you're all upset about that. Right. And like the Aiel generally have a pretty strong honor code. It's kind of like baked into their cultural DNA. Right. It's I mean, I can see that the argument makes sense to the audience that they're trying to fool because the audience in question is super racist. But it it's it's always read as a very like Perrin, you know the Aiel better than most of our cast. This is a weird argument for you to be making. Especially with Gaul and stuff like exactly. that. Exactly. Like, would you rather he give them to the Black Tower? Are you it, kidding right? me? The insane men? Right? Like, no. What What are your alternatives? Give them, uh, give the Aes Sedai. I guess just like give them to the other Aes Sedai. But that doesn't feel tenable either because then you have people policing themselves, basically. Right. Yeah, it's... Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe Perrin was just trying to play into the natural thought process of the people they were trying to impress with this fight. Maybe we can be charitable to Perrin and say that's why he made that statement. But otherwise, it just feels really inauthentic. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing has always been... I I, I think what he's basically, Perrin, is like, well, they swore to you. Trust them. Let them go do whatever they need to do, you know, and don't, like, have someone monitoring them. But we've seen how that works out when you give Aes Sedai free reign. They manipulate, even if they sworn oaths. They manipulate. You need someone to keep them in line. And Bran can't do it himself. He doesn't have the time. Right, right. And yet maybe, maybe like, chat is saying, maybe it's Perrin criticizing Rand's just, like, I'm the creator sort of, you know, imposition of his will. But, I mean, the fact that they made up this fight means they were probably just totally winging it. Like, it is a real bone of contention, but, like... Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Frosted Angel in the Sky makes a good point that it's probably a little sexist as much as it is racist, right? The the helpless women, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is something that Rand and Perrin mm-hmm. both really have yet to get over. It's like, but their uteruses mm. make them so much more fragile. It's like they're Im- very, they're not immortal, but they age slowly and they can use magic. I, I feel like their reproductive anatomy is not the issue. It is. But it is for those guys. So that that's that's valid. And that was literally Perrin's thought when they captured the Aes Sedai, is he looked at them and said, yes, they might be powerful Aes Sedai, but once they're shielded, they are as vulnerable as any other woman, and even more so because they're not used to operating without the power. Which is super fair. You take someone's tools away, they are going to be less competent, but the whole, like... As helpless as other women, right. it's like exactly. I will stab you myself. Oh, no, helpless parent, <laughs> that's the mistake you're making. <sighs> like, also, you're married right. to a woman who could literally stab you and carries weapons, and who you like respect in the "I'm afraid you will beat me up" sort of way. So, parents should know Aiel and women well, both better than this by now. Yeah, I mean, and Brand tosses them, like picks them up with the power. I I do like that little bit, like kind of parent being tossed around like a child he's this big old man and like for once in his life someone actually just tosses him around like a child and it's like that's what that feels like mm-hmm. not that parent inordinately throws people very often but yeah, there's some picking up a fail and putting her over his knee that's uh, very true that's uh, very true how do you like being thrown into a marble column mm-hmm. overgrown lummox it doesn't he do that with oh i don't remember no i thought he picked someone up and put the, over to the side. yeah there's an i i think it's mm. I forget, it's one of the maidens, but yeah, 
they they're all holding their spears at his neck and he picks her up and that's her. right and it's like there's something about being picked up and set aside that got her going i'm just saying mm-hmm. yeah well you know i yield uh <laughs> generally get to experience that because the whoever uh-huh. they would do that to will just turn it into a wrestling match but yeah overall it's a frustrating fight frustrating argument and frustrating character actions and behaviors i do think rand's on the verge of killing perrin i think he reflects on it later where he's like i almost lost control of myself in that moment yeah perrin is afraid he almost got killed rand is afraid he almost killed perrin i completely buy that this this spiraled out, out of, of control, control. Yeah. yeah and everybody we can see it everybody is terrified the entire palace is terrified this was not rand like yelling this was rand freaking out yeah they're like let's scare everybody or terrify them shitless that works too i notice loyal's just carrying around a long-handled axe now he just uses it as a walking staff oh i didn't even notice that he's put a long handle on his axe like permanently at least for the duration Mm of the of the age uh yeah and this is also to me kind of feels like a goodbye to loyal to be perfectly honest we don't see him for books and books. And even when we do, he comes back. He gets that reunification with his mother and Dareth and Belarhamen. But then they go off to the stump. So this is kind of it for Loyal. Like, we get, we get, he goes off to do this thing. He comes back in for a chapter, and then he's off again. And then he comes back as a quiet battle leader because Ogier get very quiet and to the point when they're in battle it's yeah no this is the end of us having loyal as the character we all know yeah we don't spend any real time with him again we get I I feel like we get one more nostalgic scene when he actually ends up with Aerith it's really good Yeah, yeah the wedding scene is really really sweet and and also that's when he like stands up to his mother and you know goes to the stump and then after that we get you know the excerpts at the beginning of the chapter start to be You know, I mean, he is the one who opens the last battle chapter. So, you know, he comes back, but he's more and more Mm -hmm. the RJ self-insert than the cuddly teddy bear that sings to trees. Yeah, and and that does, he is still there when the manor gets attacked. That's right after the wedding scene. But that's right after the wedding. That's, yeah. So we we do get to see him doing kind of, that is kind of badass with the... the, 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 It's a good scene, but it's short. And then he's off again. And it's books away. So, yeah, books away. Books right. and books and books. That's like Gathering Storm, I think. Uh, I thought it was Jordan's last, Knife of Dreams. Isn't that Gathering no, Storm? No, Gathering Storm is, Jordan, is Sanderson's first. <laughs> I'm a really good fan of this series. Yeah, I'm, I'm currently re-listening to Knife of Dreams, so it's in that. It's, it's in that. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, no, because Gathering Storm, the cover mm-hmm. is, they're still at that manor. Or they're still in that whole running around to various manors. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, it is Jordan's last. But yeah, this is Loyal getting sent off with Carlden to go and talk to as many studying as possible about the Waygates, which feels like a very like left alone plot. It feels like it shouldn't have more impact on yeah. what happens, but we barely ever hear about that mattering. And it doesn't even stop them from using the Waygates. They still get in the Camelon with them. Well, that's the one that they can't one of the few that they can't get to. So maybe right. that's part of how we know that it worked is that we don't have Trollocs pouring out of that's every fair. Waygate. They only pour out of like two. It's kind of like, um, you know, edging your lawn. You don't get complimented on how well you edged your lawn. You get harassed about how you haven't edged your lawn. So their success is in the lack of news about it. But it's just always as like, really? You're going to send Loyal off with a random Ashamon to do a very important task. And then we're 
not really going to check in with them, like, at all. And, like, why Carlton? How do we know that Carlton isn't going to stab Loyal in his sleep? Why should we trust this guy with our precious Loyal? We never get a reason. Obviously, he's fine in the end, but, like, I just, it felt so random to me. Like, we've never met this guy, but we're sending Loyal off with him. Tell me you're a property owner without telling me you're a property owner? Using Ed... <laughs> Edging the lawn <laughs> is a good analogy. Carlton, again, he seems... He's one of the first Ashaman to show up. He's in that first initial group when Rand comes to the Black oh, Tower. Okay. So, like, there is a little bit of, like, maybe he's one of the original... Maybe, you know, Jordan always had that plan for him, and he is one of the originals. But he he's sort of in the background of a lot of scenes once, once he comes back. So they do this for a while. He ends up coming back. So he's there at the attack on the manor house. Okay, I didn't realize he was one of the originals. Yeah. That makes me trust him slightly more. Mm-hmm. But, like, I, I forgot about him. <laughs> and then he was bonded as warder to uh, Beldine. Oh. Wow, I really just did not notice this guy. He's very unremarkable. <laughs> no, yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's very unremarkable. And, you know, he's there. Basically, then he's with Beldine for a little while when she confronts Min and Codswain. And then he dies in the last battle. He wields power until he's exhausted and then is overwhelmed by the Sharns and killed. Him and Bel- him and Beldine sacrifice oh, themselves so he... sort of as a delaying tactic to fight the, the Sharns. Okay, I guess we can trust him with our precious loyal baby. Yeah, but but he's definitely one of those guys where he he's in the it. background of a couple of scenes and other than this, he doesn't really do anything. So... Hmm. Hmm. I just always wonder what Loyal and Carlton's trip is like. Like, does Loyal manage to, like, get him interested in trees, in books? Like, does hanging out with an ogre, like, stave off the madness? Like, I would just love to see a little bit of their journey. Oh, yeah. But... And, the, and the going into Waygate and the steading uh, where Carlton stays outside and Loyal goes in. And there's that because Carlton doesn't want to go in. But, you mm-hmm. know, it's also why, you know, there's a lot of concern from Aerith and the mother about Loyal being out of the Steading. And, like, he's been gatewaying between Steading now for, like, six weeks. Yeah. Yeah, with Anashimon, he's really getting... He's getting re-upped a lot. And that, don't forget, that was Rand's plan, right? This is when he was told by Elder Haman that Loyal was, you know, really getting to the point of danger. And he's like, well, what can I do to fix that? And this was back when he was trying to figure out how to um, make Sulan get rid of her shame as well. And so he's, he then applied that to mm, Loyal mm-hmm. and was like, oh, how can I fix the problem without sending him back home? How can I get him into a steading? He's like, oh, I need to send him around to a bunch of steading to fix the way gates. Because you're going to have to stay for like a week to convince them. Exactly. Anything, oh, and, or so. just at least a day for um, <laughs> him to learn the place well enough to form another gateway. Right. So, you know, there's, there's mm-hmm. got to be some of that mm-hmm. stay over. So. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Fail seem to like shouting sometimes. Yeah, think. Yeah, it's kind of mm-hmm. like her biggest kink, but whatever. Not even sure what they were arguing it's, about. It's Probably Berylane being included yeah. or something it's else Berylane. about the logistics. It's yeah. all about Berylane. Yeah. She wasn't supposed to come. Now she's coming. Not a good idea. Because Rand is trying mm-hmm. to give Berylane some relevance and not make her feel but like. But at the same time, and, can't uh, he can't let her stay there yeah. because she's being attacked because rebels, basically. Yeah, because the tyrants are like, well, ah, we'll kill your allies or whatever. It's it's a bunch of political shenaniganry. But yeah, Rand is not going to not send Berylene along just because it will be bad for Perrin's marriage. In a lot of ways, he does need her there. She is there to talk to the queen of Gilidon and let them know that this is not an invasion. You know, I am I'm here as an ambassador. Like, this is someone who the queen would trust. 
it's a name she knows. Mm-hmm. It's a familiar face. Like right, Fai- which Faya wouldn't have that. No, yeah, for sure. Yes, Mel Detura is saying someone it isn't an insult to send. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so then, yeah, Loyal is like, so Rand's sending away all of his friends, and he's going to be alone, and he knows that's going to be bad for him, but he's doing it anyway. The dumb shit. Loyal's nicer about it than I am, but. Rand's self-awareness here and still doing the self-sabotaging thing hits a little too close to home for me right now, so I don't appreciate that. <laughs> Especially since he did it, and that resulted in once, and that resulted in Dumai's Wells. He sent everybody away, and then he got kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's let's do that again. Surely Mm-mm. it can't be, be worse no. the next time. <laughs> nothing worse is going to happen to him. No, yeah. because everything bad has already yeah. happened to him. Like, there's nothing else bad that could possibly mm-hmm. happen to him. Mm-hmm. He's... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So they go into a marble stable. Yeah. And, and there's just, I feel like there's a gathering, you know, Aram's there, Fahil's there, Berylaine shows up, like, like it's not in the stable. Berylaine's got her winged guards, we've got some Aiel, and then we've got some more Aiel, we've got Chaff Aiel, but yeah, marble stable, it's ridiculous. How many of these puppies had she taken care of? Chaff Aiel. I love his <laughs> referencing puppies. <laughs> I love that. Uh-huh. I love that he calls them puppies because it's like accurate. accurate. <laughs> they are literal puppies. And, and Fahil's like, they're going to get in trouble. Someone's got to take them under their wing. And she's right. And she uses them really effectively. Balwar uses them very effectively. She gathers them into less troublemaking <laughs> yes. very effectively, such that Balwar mm-hmm. is able to step in and utilize them as the resource that they really can be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think in many ways it's, Fahil's first attempt at bringing responsibility onto herself to help her become a better leader now that she I mean because she was doing a good job in the two rivers right being a lord's wife but now she's been divorced from that burden of responsibility and she needs someone to manage and take care of because that makes her a more mature effective person and so she attracts in who she needs to to help motivate her to grow the fuck up totally well and and up to this point she's been managing peasants now she has to manage other nobility, mm-hmm. and that's definitely a step up in terms of maturity and her ability to keep other people who also control power under control, as opposed to peasants. Yeah, it's funny. She's managing her peers, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, she could easily have been one of these people if her circumstances oh. were slightly different, which has always amused me. Like, they, these could just be her compatriots in any number of ventures, but she's stepping up to lead them and be, you know, club president, I, basically. I, a little bit don't like that it's through her husband, that, like, a lot of Fahil's power comes yeah. because of who she married and who he's friends with. Not, none of her power, I mean, also her personality and, you know, the fact that she makes Perrin a lord of the two rivers. There, there is that, like, she is the one who's making Perrin the lord. And, like, she has, yeah, the background and training and clearly the knowledge that she needs to be a solid noble. But the power, what makes her different from the other nobles? Perrin. Yeah, yeah. She has the training and the education to be a good administrator to help people find where their strengths are best in an informational network. But the reason that she's naturally at the top is not because she's good at it. It's because of Perrin. Like, if again, if she was in this group of people on her own right, she might build up to being a society leader or not on the strength of her personality. I suspect she would, but because of Perrin, it's automatic and that's not as satisfying as it could be. Which is maybe partially why there's some real animosity between her and Verilon because 
of Erlaine is there entirely on her own merit. Mm-hmm. I mean, a bit because Rand assigned her to it. Because of her merit, though, right? Like, that's, she didn't, she didn't marry Rand to get the right, position. Right, right. She didn't fuck Rand to get the position. Right. She tried to fuck well, Rand um, and got that as her second right, prize. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, there's definitely part of it is that Fayil has less of an earned position than Berylain in in this dynamic. And their their power dynamic gets a lot better once they've both sort of earned right. a, a, a place in that hierarchy in both of their eyes. And right now, Fayil is... Fayil's kind of like the Sasuayamon yeah. being jealous of the Maidens. The Maidens got their position because of merit and the Sasuayamon like came in second place. But I'd almost say it's like the maidens being jealous of the Sasuayamon because Fayil has Perrin. <laughs> she's jealous of the people. Mm. She's jealous of the people who no, want. That's actually him, fair. You know, yeah. so there's, I mean, it's not a perfect analogy, right? But yeah, no, yeah, no, I think you're right though. That it's, it's that issue, but just, yeah, flipped around because the Sasuayamon earn it in a way that is not handed down from a powerful man. They just earn it. Mm-hmm. We get reminded of who the Ashaman are yes. that are going with Perrin. It's going to be Jur Grady and Phaedra Niald. Yeah, and Jur Grady is, he talks about his wife. And as far as we know, they have a child who we believe is Gaidel Kane. Right, Gadrin. His wife is Sora, his child is Gadrin, yeah. and he's ugly as hell. So collective fan canon is that that is Gaidel. <laughs> Name begins with a G, ugly child, right age, was born after, was born right in the right time after Gaidel Kane popped out of the world of dreams, but before Brigida, you know, it's, it, mm-hmm. it all works out. And I think it's been confirmed by Sanderson that that was what he was, what was intended. Mm-hmm. And even if it's not, we're deciding that it is. <laughs> Next, we've also got a reminder that we've got Sayona Trigon, mm-hmm. who is a green and Masuri Sakawa, who was a brown and they cause all kinds of headaches for Perrin along the way. So that's our quartet of channelers that it's, they're named Salady, but mm-hmm. because they stay with Perrin, they're a little easier to keep separate from all the others. Well, and th- that's not the only channelers, because we also have the wise ones keeping an eye on the Aes Sedai. So he's got, he's got two Ashman, right. two Aes Sedai, sure. and four? No. I don't actually remember how many of the wise ones are channelers with him, but it's a good, six. good handful. Idara appeared the eldest of the six wise six ones channelers. and passively watching the two women Neil had nodded to. Are all six of them channelers? I think so. I don't have I don't have a confirmation for that. But I, I thought oh, otherwise why okay. would they be keeping an eye on the why the the eye said I, right? Like they would have to be able to see the channeling. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. So they've got Three eyes, three wise mm-hmm. ones for every eyes mm-hmm. to die <laughs> to keep track of. So they definitely have the upper hand. And Perrin collectively then mm-hmm. has 10 channelers to make this trip with, which seems like a pretty good regiment of people that can wield the power. And a decent number of Aiel, which makes Gaul upset because then he doesn't have time alone with Bane and Chiyad. <laughs> yeah, and this is like, one oh. of the only times Gaul is sulky. And it's because, and it's funny because he's the only male Aiel. Oh, yeah, but, oh, wow, yeah, that sucks. Yeah, yeah he thinks it's going to be just him and, like, his his crush and her best friend, and instead it's an entire mm. army of women who are going to be snickering oh. at him. <laughs> he's oh, not no. even going to have fellow male and he's gonna try and to, like, commiserate with. <laughs> Everybody's going to judge him, the entire group of women. Oh, no, poor girl. <laughs> yeah, he's, mm. he's got reason to be a little sullen here. 
I do love, though, later when um, they're looking for the prisoners in uh, Winter's Heart and they let him lead. And it's like, they've decided mm. to approve of his courtship of Bane and Chiad. Well, of Chiad. Bane and Chiad. I don't think you can separate them. Right. Well, he's trying to court Chiad and bringing Bane I along I think one of the reasons the that it works is because he realizes that, that's, that he, he's being dumb and not trying. He, he stops trying to just chase Chiad and tries to impress Bane, Bane mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, and yeah, I think yeah, probably at that point, that's when all the maidens are like, you know what, yeah. we're gonna back you up on this. Bane and Chiad are being a little stubborn, and we're gonna actually uh, back you up on that now because now you have the chance to impress right. them with rescuing them right. from right. from the shadow. So if you can do that, then you get our stamp of approval. <laughs> so that's kind of cool, but yeah, it's it's grumpy making here in this book. Uh, so the next thing I have is them just stepping through the gateway. They go through the gateway, which can only accommodate wagons or carts rather than wagons. I can never remember which carts on the wagons. I, th- I always think of like a covered wagon as those big things with oxen tied to them that you see like uh-huh. Oregon Trail style, basically Oregon Trail style. Whereas a cart is just like something you can pull behind you that's no taller than the horse. Right. Okay. Yeah. Fair. So yeah, they they have slightly smaller gateway capacities, so that chooses their conveyance. I love the, the the comment here. Neither Neil or Grady could make one as big as Rand could. Or Deshiva. Or Deshiva? What? What? Some random-ass Ashaman who's as powerful can open Hmm. a gateway as big as Rand? Maybe he's a Forsaken. It's just like that's such a freaking, that's pointing. Like, who, these normal Ashaman cannot make a gateway this big. Rand can, and Forsaken can. Deshiva, Forsaken. Right, like... The amount of times that this has gone over my head is truly Tishiba frustrating. In particular, yeah. <laughs> Just the, the number of times Jordan's like, forsaken, yeah. forsaken, 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 forsaken. Blue lightning, yeah. Flashing yeah. neon sign, it's fine. Don't bother. This is one of those things where I wonder if like cool. nobody noticed at first and he just kept putting more and more hints in. <laughs> like, <laughs> He's like, I'm getting questions at conventions and I'm not hearing the ones I'm expecting. Uh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And then there's another thing about the gateway that I wanted to, uh, because before he goes in, he doesn't know whether it's Grady or Neald. But then afterwards, he says he's wanted to order the gateway shut before Berylon went through. 
but Neil was the man holding the thing open, and he was on the other side back in Kyrian. And I was like, how did you go from not knowing to knowing? Like, there was no indication of, I guess, because Grady went through first, and Neil stayed behind, you know the person who stays behind is the one who... I'm guessing. Open the gateway. That's uh, uh, maybe that's just policy. Maybe yeah, that. I'm. That's that's got to be it. It seems like a pretty subtle nuance for Parent to have bothered picking up on with his blockheaded worry over women and his wife. But yeah. sure. Also, it doesn't seem like no. you have to stay on the other side of a gateway to keep it open. But I guess again, policy mm-hmm. convention that's forming around gateway protocol. So. Well, and I could see where it does matter with skimming. You have to be the first one in right, and the last one right. out with skimming. So it makes sense for that convention to carry over to how gateways work. But it didn't. It's the opposite, right? Grady went through first, and he thinks Neil's the one holding it. Oh, yeah. <sighs> Yet another reason to leave skimming out of the show. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was, just, it was just a moment where I, I went from being like, how did you said you yeah, a second ago you had no idea which one opened the gateway, and now you're saying... Neil, the one you can't yell at, is the one opening the gateway. How did you know that? Hmm. Yeah, and they step through, and the air is Mm, even hotter on the other side, which is just like, Mm -hmm. don't, ew, ew. Because they're moving, they were in Kyrian, right? No, they were in Tyr, right? They were in Tyr, and now they're going to Giladon. Is that farther south? Yes. Well, I'm a geographer. I don't know where things are. Giladon is sort of the middle of the continent, which it, it makes sense that it's hot. Just like the Midwest gets stupid hot, right? It's away from the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. Middles of continents are hotter as a rule. Yeah. They're going from at least a river side city to the middle of nowhere. Yeah. You know, so I'm a big river. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I imagine a big a river at that. that river and stuff like that. Okay, yes, they were in the Sun Palace. Say thank you. So yes, Kyrian. And yet, but yeah, I mean that's a huge trade shipping river, whereas Giladon has like the mm-hmm. Aranel mm-hmm. running through one corner or something like that. It's not nearly the same thing. And yeah, continents generally much more extreme temperatures in the middle, both hot and cold. And right. obviously the world is baking, so it's gonna be hot in this case. You know, in a lot of ways, Giladon is on the other side of the mountains from the ocean, so you're gonna get sort of, you know, desert effects and like you're um, not gonna I mean, you probably have some southern winds coming up through Giladon. There's that's the weirdness where you got which way are the trade winds in the in the wheel of time. Are they north? Are they east-west? They're probably not north to south, right? No. I mean, if we assume that this is roughly our planet, that means that it's spinning in an east-west way. So the trade winds Mm -hmm. are going to have to be going along that axis. And yeah, if we we take Randland to be exactly North America, then yes, the trade winds are going to be coming from the west up and over the mountains. And when you go up and over the mountains, the air gets drier and warmer. Because it has to go up, loses a bunch of moisture, and then when it comes down, it compresses and gets warmer as a result of compressing. Climatology is fun. <laughs> so Giladon is basically Vegas desert, geologically. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. or like Colorado desert. Um, it's So yeah, it's going to be a lot drier and a lot warmer naturally, normally. And then you just turn up the heat on the whole planet, so that's going to become more pronounced. So Perrin gets up and gives a speech to everybody and being like, guess where we are? Giladon! Um, and that was all fake fight. Uh, we yeah. disappeared. Which I do kind of, I like that that trope of like, anyone who's paying attention is going to figure out that the troops were sent somewhere, but it is deceptive enough that it could fool people. Well, a bunch of groups that weren't together right. before all vanish at the same time. Right. That doesn't mean they're all together. They happen to be all together in this case, but... 
I, I always thought it was sort of a plot hole because it's like they all vanish at once. No one's going to like connect the mm-hmm. dots. But these are very disparate mm-hmm. groups that were not spending time together. So it is fair to think that it just was like, nope, Rand blew up. Everyone skedaddled in their own separate directions. That's plausible. Especially after the returning from Dumai's Wells. I'm guessing a lot of people went in a lot of different directions. Mm-hmm. But it is the beginning of Perrin's forging of all of the different coalitions together, right? That, that's basically what Perrin does, is he takes all these different groups and smashes them together into one giant army that he brings back to Rand. And this is the seed that creates the rest of the army. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that Barrelane and Fayil both disagree in the same way with parents uh-huh. thing here. Like they are in agreement and they see each other shaking their heads and like, oh, no, I wasn't thinking that. But it's sort of it's another sign that Perrin is starting to come into his own leadership because he's making this choice and he's doing it against the advice of two of his advisors. And it works really well. Reminds me of Romaine a little bit. When the two of them are <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. disagreeing with Egwene and they both, of course, agree on what they should be doing, but because they're against Egwene. And then Egwene does her own thing and it works out much better than what Romaine would have had happen. Much better. Yeah. And they're so pissed when they see catch each other agreeing with each other because it's, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. 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 No, it's definitely the beginning of Perrin having a, a brief glimpse of the leader that he's going mm-hmm. to become in like a billion books. I will say, yeah. I, I think one of my biggest disappointments about the last battle is how little Perrin actually leads. He goes off to be his own independent. I like yeah. that Matt's a strategist in the last battle. I would have liked to see Perrin actually being a battle leader. I would have loved to see Perrin like actually yeah. like there's a difference between a stri- strategio a st- strategist which Matt is and you know a general versus a battle leader, someone who forges in who brings people together it was like you there you there you know like let's yeah like i, I really would have yeah. loved to see that's super scary because right we got tam which was great right yeah. and parent had had him as his second in command and but yeah parent finally gets into his leadership finally forges an army and then takes off right. to be right. a dream ninja whereas like his entire plot line up to that point was building this army and this coalition i mean i guess it speaks to the strength of the coalition that mm-hmm. he can leave his second in command in charge and it still works and everyone still fights for Perrin golden eyes and we needed Perrin to go into the dream to have all those awesome dream sequences and deal with like all the different dream villains but yeah i agree it's it was a lot of build-up to pass it off to Tam who like of course Tam was yeah, going to do a good right. job it's not as satisfying to see Tam do what yeah, you knew Tam's Tam like, was yeah, going to do Ilian. like I'm, I might as well be one of the great battle leaders like sure pass it off fine yeah <laughs> I mean we do get to see Perrin you know saving the white cloaks which is you know but that that's the taste of what you would have that expected that exactly that's what I would have wanted to, to, to build up to it because like Again, a part of these boys growing up is that they can do things better than their parents did. Yeah. And so, like, having Perrin override Tam, right? Having Tam do this thing and Perrin be like, no, no, I know better. We're doing it this way. And have that be more successful, Mm -hmm. right? That's what I would have liked to see. Show Perrin as a better battle leader than Tam. Yeah. But as he passes it off to Tam and Abel, it is like, you guys got this. Which, I mean, no shade to our elders. We should listen to them and learn from them and utilize their strengths. But, like, no. that's not the arc of the no. big... That's not what the Emmonsfield Five are supposed to teach us. But how else are you going to get Perrin into the dream is probably the calculus there. Leading the army into the dream to fight in the flesh. Oh His entire God, army. That would have been He's so like, Rand, cool. I need a gateway to the world of dreams. For for everybody, let's go. For everybody, you know, like, <laughs> absolutely. And then, 
you know, especially with God. the way the world of dreams and the real world were sort of coming together. So you could have had these two parallel battles, and then when they merge, you have all of Rand's armies on the battlefield at once, even though half of them were on the world of dreams fighting, and half of them were like, so... Mm. Mm-hmm. That would have been amazing. Yeah. But instead, we got Hinder's Tap. And if you really want to throw Matt into there, have them merge into, like, come out of the world of dreams into to Mashadar. Like, because you would never go into Mashadar willingly. Ooh. But if the worlds merged and all of a sudden you were found yourself inside of Mashadar in the real world and having to fight that. That could have been really good or really bad. Well, I mean, from a writing perspective, <laughs> from a... <laughs> For the crowning heroes, yeah, bad. yeah. But it, you, you could give Fane more of a role, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, and then Fane could be less of a disappointment as a villain, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and I mean at Shale Ghoul, you've got these like wisps of people from across the dimensions fighting. Wouldn't it be amazing if like suddenly like an army of wisps right. like solidified just out of nowhere, right. and it's the good guys, not the bad guys? And oh my god, that would have been fabulous and it would have worked so well like Perrin not only are you a master of dreams and a master of leadership you can be a master of dream leadership (laughs) or or you could even you know I mean I always go back right now I'm going back to the MCU a lot because I feel like it's the only thing that comes even close to scope of the Wheel of Time and so in Endgame when they open up the Mm. portals and come out like sort of a similar thing like coming out of Mm. I mean Mm -hmm. I guess there is a sort of portal anyway I (laughs) would have paid a lot to have been to be in the writing room the show. That's all I'm saying. Because <laughs> if I was, Nine would definitely shoot first. <laughs> yes. A little bit more casual sexism and battle of the sexes because men are from Mars and women are from Venus. It's always a man's fault. One thing he learned, women were better at anything else. Teaching a man to <laughs> sigh. Just, just like, you know who's good at teaching mm-hmm. people to sigh? Other people. That's just other people are annoying. You don't need to make this a gendered thing. But I, I love that we've gone there. Like all this gendered men do this, women do that. It's like, no people like replace all of that with people do this. Yeah. <laughs> and realize that it's everyone just with their own prejudices. Yeah. Which arguably he does say here, you know, this, this saying goes two ways depending on who's saying it and the context. And it's like, mm-hmm, that could be said for all of this stuff. That's as close <laughs> as he gets to being woke. I think is <laughs> yeah. like a all of self-awareness. these. Yeah. A little self-awareness there. of Like, I guess all of the stuff really does go both ways. People are just terrible. Yeah. And then, yeah, he says, first we convince Queen Aleandra we aren't here to invade, and then we go find the prophet and reel in his murderous tendencies. And this is really, this is Perrin's arc, right? Up until Fael gets kidnapped. His arc is, go get Queen Aleandra. She joins him. Go confront the prophet and bring him in. Yeah. Yeah, bring him in. And it's supposed to be a relatively quick trip. It's supposed to be simple, straightforward, just some basic politics, a little bit of shock and awe. Just, Done deal. Just like Matt going to pick up Elaine. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of why Rand is is seems like he's sending people away more dramatically than he thinks he is. He's and like, just back. go for like a week and then come back. And then it's like that or several months. And we know this is the last the last mission they're doing before the last battle, right? Like quite literally I also think that's maybe why the slog feels sloggy is we want these, these missions are supposed to take one book and they don't. Yeah. You expect to see yeah. what is Rand going to have them do next? What, what is the conclusion of this arc? The and the battle. answer is yeah. <laughs> nothing. I, we're, you know, they, that's, they, uh. <laughs> you know, 
both go out, gather up huge armies, and come back ready for the last battle. Perrin with his army of, you know, various white cloaks and other folks put together from the two rivers, and, and Matt with his ba- massive band of the Red Hand, and, you know, Sean Chan. Well, the Shanchan, yeah. So yeah, and the conditional allegiance of the Shanchan. Demondred went out and got the Sharans. Matt went yeah. out and got the Shanchan. I think that's that's entirely <laughs> fair, right? Like, and that's, and that's yeah, why I, I sure. do like the symmetry of the two of them fighting out as battle leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Game mm-hmm. of Stones writ exactly. large is that that framing was very cool to be like, no, this is because they set, set we spend a lot of the series setting up stones as an analogy for military strategy, and it's nice to see that come mm-hmm. full circle. Mm-hmm. And, and using things like the power to have a window on the battlefield and like, yeah, yeah, no, really cool. That was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that part. <laughs> really, really good that, that stuff with Matt there. And we see so much of like battle is chaotic and scary and there's sharp, blunt instruments flying everywhere. And then also battle is strategy where you're mm-hmm. talking to someone that you aren't in the same room with and like seeing all the levels of war in that way is... It's nice that RJ lets us see both sides of it, even though fundamentally war is horrible. Also, war is fascinating. And we get that mm-hmm. through Matt and Demondred's battle more than, I think, any other conflict that happens. In what other way are you truly pushed to the edge of what you can do? Right? Maybe sports, some would argue. Right? Like... Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Extreme sports in particular. Like, fighting against nature and yourself at the same time. But war really is, like, you will do anything to survive and beat the other person. And there's really no other situation where you can say that. The, you know, like, almost all of the times you have boundaries and, and stuff like that. But in war, that, that changes. Especially a war like this one. Yeah. And war tends to be the analogy that people use when they're Mm -hmm. in some other kind of conflict that they are throwing their entire soul Mm -hmm. into. Like, this is war is a common refrain in things that are not war if you're pouring your entire life yeah, force into know, the conflict. I, I, I was really deeply affected by the, the thumb wars of my childhood. <laughs> One, two, three, four. I declare thumb war! <laughs> oh, man. Thumb mm. wars. I'm actually pretty decent at thumb wars. I think it's because I have really small hands, so <laughs> I can get out of the holds pretty easily. <laughs> but yes, the wars are, are, are bad. and But they push us to our edge. You know, a lot of... A lot of our modern society exists because of World War II. For better or worse. For better or worse. Oh, yeah. And I think on that, I want to read us out. Okay. Some of you may be wondering where we are and why he went on when silence fell at last. A smaller ripple of laughter. This is Giladon. Murmurs of awe and maybe disbelief at having crossed 1,500 miles or more in a step. The first thing we have to do is convince Queen Aleandra we aren't here to invade. Verlaine was supposed to talk to Aleandra, and Fael is going to give him fits for it. Then we're going to go find a fellow who calls himself the Prophet of the Lord Dragon. That would not be much pleasure either. Masima had been no joy before he tipped over the edge. This Prophet has been causing some problems, but we're going to let him know Randall Thor doesn't want anybody frightened into following him. And we'll take him and any of his people who want to come back to the Lord Dragon. And we'll frighten the breeches off of Masima to do it if need be, he thought wryly. They cheered, they whooped and shouted that they would march this prophet back to Kyrian for the Lord Dragon, until Perrin hoped this spot was even further from any village than it was supposed to be. Even the cart drivers and horse handlers joined in. More than that, he prayed that everything went smoothly and quickly. 
the sooner he could put as much distance as possible between Berlane and himself and Fayil, the better. No surprises. That was what he wanted once they rode south. It was about time his being Tamirin showed itself good for something. <clears throat> that last sentence. That last yeah. sentence is just Jordan being like, nope, Perrin, you're never getting away from those three. Not only are you never getting away from those three, you're getting crush the three of you closer together. Yeah. There's no distance. And, and what what you want from being Tavirin is not the same thing as what Tavirin wants from you. No. Like what Tavirin is for you is bringing people together and making unlikely allies. That's not going to happen if you run away to be a blacksmith in the backcountry of Andor. That's not how your Tavirin is going to manifest usefully. So I also notice in the next chapter, Matt says a similar thing about like, oh, it's about time my Tavirin shows itself good for something. Like, meh, 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 right. meh, it's just like you boys and your lack of understanding the point of Tavirin. It's, it's a theme. <laughs> yeah, it is. No surprises. That's what he wanted. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're going to be so disappointed on that front, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, God, the, I've just, I've been loving the foreshadowing. So I've been, Never is girlfriend has got through eye of the world. She is into Great Hunt, listening with some regularity. So I am enjoying going along with a first time reader uh, quite a bit, <laughs> and I'm again listening and witnessing the masterful foreshadowing of Robert Jordan. And I think even now, having gone through, having gone through the series the way we're doing it in such depth, I have learned so much more about the whole series than I knew four years ago mm. when we started this journey. And again, and, and I didn't think I could go back and read the books and still get more out of them, but I still can! <laughs> that son of a bitch! I can still go back to Eye of the World and and realize that stuff I recently figured out about books six and seven apply and have foreshadowing in book one. Mm -hmm. And it makes me so angry because no one deserves to be that smart. <laughs> because I will never enjoy something like this again. And it's just, it makes me so angry that Jordan could have pulled this off. Mm. Yeah, it's rough. It's rough. And you're not protecting Never from spoilers, so you get to actually discuss your insights more or less in real time. More or less. I'm, you know, it's one of those things where she's, for, I've spoiled a bunch of stuff, and she's forgotten it all. Mm. So I'm not, mm -hmm. like, that worried about spoilers. But at the same time, like... In a lot of times when she comes to me and she's like, wait, is this, is Rand the Dragon Reborn? It's more fun to me to be like, I don't know, you should read and find out. And that's, that's fun, you know, and I uh -huh. enjoy doing that. Even though at various times I've told her, yes, Rand is the Dragon Reborn, you know, but mm -hmm. like, it's meaningless when you haven't even started the books and you've never, you don't know who this mm -hmm. Rand guy mm -hmm. is, you know? So, yeah, I'm not super protecting her, but like, there's so many details in here, it's, it's almost impossible to spoil. Right. And like, yeah. yes, I'm sure I've spoiled a few details. I think she knows Egwene dies at the end, right? Like, no, she'll definitely forget that by the time we get to yeah. the end. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's the thing. It's like, it's such a, not a minor detail, but it's a small detail. Mm -hmm. And it's she does huge, so much before then that it's right. like, it's not like she's dead the whole series. Right, right. You get the whole series with Egwene. So. Oh, that's so fun that you get to go through it with like a super nerd and also someone who's discovering for the first time. Like, mm -hmm. You're getting the best of both worlds. <laughs> yeah, no, I've been I've been really enjoying it. What I've been enjoying most of all is watching her go from Alright, I'll listen to a chapter if you want to. Hey, can can we listen to real time? I wanna know what happens next. 
I really like this Matt and Perrin guy. <laughs> she really likes Matt. She doesn't have the annoyance at him that a lot of first-time readers seem to have. Huh. Wow. Even, like, pre-healing Matt isn't driving yeah. her up the wall. That's Because she's, she's like, oh, well, he's, he's infected. I'm like, isn't he annoying? She's like, yeah, but he's infected. It's fine. I'm like, oh, you're so understanding. Wow. Yeah. So basically, she's a better person than most of us. Well, yeah, I'm dating, <laughs> I'm dating her. Totally. Fair. Fair. She's also a bit of a writer, so I think sometimes she picks mm. up on some mm-hmm. some tricks and tips, some some of the behind the scenes stuff that like I still fall for because I've never been a writer, only a reader, and like it'll hit me emotionally in the right place. Um, she's like, oh yeah. yeah, he's clearly he's clearly doing something there, you know. So yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Looking at something with with background knowledge is very different from experiencing it just as like an innocent reader or innocent mm-hmm. user of whatever the thing is. For sure. I think that's why, um, like, Allie and Gus do such a good job. Yeah. As well as, yeah, it's just, like, as well as Brett and Danny. I think, like, both both Danny and Allie are incredibly good. I can't remember who's got the background in what, but I remember... Allie has a background in um, screenwriting and film that's and right. stuff. Okay. So I think, yeah, that's where a lot yeah, of her insights it, come Yeah, it from. helps. Yeah. It helps a lot. Um, and then there's there's those of us that are like, we just studied rocks and maps and engineering and like, we don't fucking know how any of this works. <laughs> We're just in it for the ride. It's See, fun. The trick is we got our voices out there first because we knew the technology to get our voices out, <laughs> <laughs> despite not knowing as much about the books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. The the nerds will always be heard. That's the power, as I say, the power of being a nerd in high, that you don't know about in high school is you will always be a little more powerful control. <laughs> If you can make a podcast, you've got a little more power than someone who can't. It's really true. And a real world update. The heat isn't too bad where I am, but Seth might have slightly died yesterday. Oh, God. Yeah. Yesterday was was bad. Um, it hit 116 in Portland. Yeah. That's 116 degrees. In case you didn't get that from the context. like Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit obviously, yeah. not Celsius. No, not Celsius. Um, obviously, Seth would be dead otherwise. Or Kelvin, because then we'd also be dead, but it would be yes, very cold. Well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it got, it got super hot. I melted a little bit. Fortunately, work was closed because we work in a restaurant and you can't turn an oven on in this heat. And... I have AC in my apartment, which was almost up to the task. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it did it for two days. On the third day, it kind of gave up the ghost. We we gave up and cooked something, and that the mm. cooking something on top of the heat was just too much for the AC, and it like very quickly rose from like seventy five where it had been maintaining to like eighty five in the apartment. Um, and then, but then once the sun went down again, it it like. Yeah, it's 46 degrees centigrade, for, by the way, for those of you Oof. who are wondering. 46 degrees C. Celsius. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it, it was... Um, yesterday wasn't bad here. We had some strong marine uh, breezes that eventually got to the Willamette Valley, um, but they were here pretty much in the morning. But mm. the day before that, it got to 111, even mm. here on the west side of the coast range, and it was 90 in the house, and... I was pretty miserable, but I was very limber for the yoga that I did. <laughs> so yeah. well, you win some, you lose some. What's amazing to me, God, it took me back to living in Houston. Like stepping out into the 110 degree weather is something that like, yeah, I, I did in Houston. But the difference is there, 
you went from your air-conditioned house to your air-conditioned car to your air-conditioned job. And, like, there was... You didn't... No one expected you to do anything outside in, in the weather. Right. You know? And that's that's the difference. Here in Portland, we don't have AC. And especially not in workplaces or in kitchens or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple of box fans is, yeah. like, good enough to get you through most things. And normally, we are... What, the temperature is 85? Yeah, 85 high, is hot. Hot, <laughs> hot, hot, hot. And we were 30 degrees over that. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, wasn't it, like, like roads were, like, buckling and, like, power lines were melting? So there were power outages because the infrastructure was literally falling apart. And that applied up until Washington, too. Literally melting. Yeah. Yeah, it was, like, I'm melting. My understanding, the reason the power lines were melting didn't have to do with the heat so much as the amount of energy people were pulling through them to run their oh. air conditioners. But which then created more heat, right? Like that's that's what that's what resistance does. So it's, I'm sure the the hot air didn't help, but I think most of the the melting actually came from like pulling too much current through them than anything else. Fair enough. Yeah. Overall, the infrastructure is just not set up one way and another. The mm. infrastructure is simply not prepared for that. People are not prepared. We don't have strategies. People forget to drink enough water. I mean, it's just. It is an absolute mess. And it's, you know, probably the new normal. It's unprecedented. Yep. But as the meme says, it's the coldest summer of the rest of your life, not the hottest summer of your life. I mean, climate change means that we will have a weirdly cold summer at some point in the future. Right. Climate weirding. Extreme. Yeah. But yeah, that's not, I mean, we're a week into summer. There's no way that that's going to be the hottest days of this summer. Like, and, that's we, just and we not. broke the all-time high in portland by nine degrees and that was like two days running you broke the record three, yeah, like for, yeah three day, three days running actually. yeah 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 you broke it and then you broke it again and then you broke it again it's yeah. like um guys could could calm down calm calm down the record was 106 <laughs> on day one we had a 107 on day two we had 111 and on day three we had 116 so three days in a row were all higher than the previous record yeah it it's obscene and, you know, all the rivers and creeks are lower than they should be. The snowpack is lower than it should be. Yeah, drought. Fi- I mean, there was like false, or not false. There was um, some fire alarms that happened out here rarely where I am, which ended up being false alarms. But like the threat of fire is just. I'm looking at the, the trees are dying. The, these They have spring growth on them and it's wilting and browning. It, it, this is supposed to be a dreary, cold, rainy month for us. Yeah, no, 4th of July is supposed to be the last day that you can anticipate your picnic getting rained on. Mm-hmm. That's supposed to be how Pacific Northwest weather works, is you're pretty safe after 4th of July. Not you're already on fire in late June. Mm-hmm. So. Just that for posterity, we should talk about that, because, yeah. ugh. <laughs> well, and, and long story short, like, there's a reason I'm not having kids. <laughs> it, it the, Yes, this is one of the big reasons on my pie chart of reasons. Mm-hmm. This is a huge wedge on that pie chart. It's, it's the uh, it's the non-selfish bad. wedge on my pie chart. Right. All the other reasons are selfish, but this one, no. Yeah, it's just... Uh, I mean, more power to people that are managing to do that and not be consumed by existential dread, but I don't think that's going to mm. be me. So let's go to another world that's also being engulfed in ridiculous climate change that's way too hot. It is way too hot yeah. in this chapter, both emotionally and climactically. Totally. <laughs> But I gotta say, if this, if if anything, the world is doing a great job of theming itself after the books we're reading. It's just been really <laughs> nice to see uncontrolled runaway heat. I'm really excited when we get after this book and we go into winter and we have one of the coldest winters on recorded history. Mm. As we get into winter's heart, mm, mm-hmm. yeah, that'll be fun. That that will be wild. Uh huh. <laughs>
So it's just been it's been a tough week here in Portland because or in the Pacific Northwest with this heat. Like it's yeah. just been tough, you know. Yeah, I mean people have died from the heat. It's not like mm-hmm. we're just complaining over being uncomfortable. Like it's bad. It's it's deadly, you know. It's almost as bad as, you know, having your best friend throw you into a wall for asking a simple question about human rights. Almost. Yeah, almost. Well, the other thing that's really the the building collapse of the hope, that's the other thing that's really just the condo collapsing is just yeah. been terror. I mean, yeah, and that's in Florida. That's in Florida. Still, and it's you just rough to read about. It's rough to read about because you, you always hope, oh, yeah, we, you know, 150 people missing. We dug in and found 60 of them or something. Like, no, there's nobody. Yeah. They pulled about three people out on day one. Yeah, there's there's a very limited window of time to get mm-hmm. people out of situations like that. Miracles do happen, but not that many at mm-hmm. once. So I saw a comment in a different conversation that was uh, regulations are written in blood. Yeah. And that's just right into my heart. Like, ouch, that's so fucking true. And and in this case, it was people knew oh, it's just going to cost too much. Let's Mm -hmm. not make sure that every single stakeholder in the situation knows. Let's not inform the tenants of the building that we've gotten a safety report that says that they're all fucked. Let's just continue on with business as usual and hope for the best. Whoops. Can I tell you what really scares me? Yeah. How many other buildings are in the exact same situation and Mm -hmm. how normalized Mm -hmm. that lack of response is? Yeah. Um, This is... One of one of my one of the biggest issues I have with America right now is we are currently subsisting on seventy year old infrastructure that was designed to last fifty years. Yeah. And so it was really everything was built in the fifties with a fifty year lifespan and we're twenty years past that. And we have now I mean, they built it really well and it was gonna last longer than fifty years. There's no doubt about that. There's there's margins of safety, there's you know, all sorts of great stuff with uh, maintenance and things like that, but the reality is we're an aging infrastructure country, and stuff like this is going to keep happening more and more and more unless we seriously invest in upgrading our, our entire economy and our entire country's infrastructure. And the longer we put it off, the more expensive it gets. Yep. yep. Also, the higher the human cost, but, you know, fuck that, right? Well, you said expensive. <laughs> Yeah, and that's not even taking into account things like rising sea levels, increasing heat waves, earthquake faults that we didn't know were there 20 years ago. Like, that, this is just standard degradation mm-hmm. of infrastructure. That's not even taking into account all the new and improved ways for us to be terrified of our own shit. So, Rady and I have been uh, subsisting on the ass end of Hades and are a little down in the dumps. Sorry about that, guys. Ugh. <laughs> 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 uh... yeah. Yeah, it's it's just been it's been rough. It's been rough. But we're still here. We're still here now. We're still alive. We haven't roasted. Thank you for listening to the Wheel of Time spoilers podcast. Rate us in the Apple podcast app or support us on Patreon. Is that good enough? As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 